Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spectacular people welcome to this 409th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is kelly kelly on this episode we're going to be hitting a place in georgia called the gaither plantation looking forward to it before we get into that we want to welcome into the spectacular crew rochelle mary karen jerry keely whose name ends with an ey stephanie jenny with one n Chris S. and Chris W., Brendan, Amanda, Abigail, Holly, and Jacqueline, who spells her name J-A-C-L-Y-N. Welcome to the crew, everyone. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Mike Rogers. Just another day out at the golf course. Until you find a coffin in a pond, and, well, it wasn't empty. The coffin was discovered in 2018 in a pond at a golf course in Lincolnshire, England. Archaeologists estimated that it dated back to the Bronze Age. The coffin was made from a hollowed-out oak tree trunk. The even more amazing part was what was found inside the coffin. The remains of a 4,000-year-old man, who was of high status, were inside along with a well-preserved axe. And this was no ordinary axe. It was very rare one of only 12 discovered in Britain. The coffin and axe are on display at the Lincoln Collection Museum. The Tetney Golf Club also has a tribute to the discovery made on the property. They have a photograph of it up on the clubhouse wall. 
and Axe makes a pretty unique golf club, and finding one in a coffin with a 4,000-year-old skeleton certainly is odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, This Month in History. In the month of November, on the 11th in 1778, the Cherry Valley Massacre took place. Cherry Valley was just east of Cooperstown, New York, and a man named Colonel Ichabod Alden was in charge of the 7th Massachusetts Regiment there. He had a long career in the military. He served in the Plymouth Militia and then served in the 25th Continental Regiment after the Battle of Lexington and Concord in 1775. But when it came to this moment during the Revolutionary War, he was out of his element. Alden had been warned that Native Americans were preparing to attack, but he ignored those warnings. Chief Joseph Brandt showed up with 600 Iroquois. He was joined by 200 loyalists serving under Major Walter Butler. Alden had less than 300 men, and they were quickly dispatched. Forty patriots were killed, including Alden and all the members of the Wells family, and 70 were taken prisoner. The attack came to be known as the Cherry Valley Massacre, and was one of the most horrific frontier massacres of the war. A monument was dedicated at Cherry Valley on August 15, 1878. Covington, Georgia is nicknamed Hollywood South due to the number of movies and television shows that have been filmed there. One location that not only hosts weddings and other events, but has also served as a set for films and TV shows is the Gaither Plantation. The house dates back to 1850, and there are two cemeteries on the property along with other historic buildings, one of which is an old church that was moved to the property. Several of the buildings, especially the main house, have paranormal activity. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Gaither Plantation. Covington, Georgia is about 26 miles east of Atlanta. This is the seat of Newton County and was incorporated in 1854. The city is named for United States Army Brigadier General and United States Congressman Leonard Covington, who was a hero of the War of 1812. General Sherman marched through the city on his march to the sea in 1864, and several buildings were looted and burned, but a few antebellum homes were spared, one of which was the Gaither Plantation. The plantation is now known as Gaither's at Myrtle Creek Farm. The Gaither family has a long history in America, with most descendants tracing their roots back to John Gaither, who arrived in Jamestown, Virginia, in 1620. Dr. Henry Gaither passed 875 acres to his son, William Hubert Gaither, who built the farmhouse on the property in 1850. Gaither married Cecilia Billups Wood in 1855, and the couple had four children, Sarah Clara, Mary Jane, Henry, and William Jr. Tragedy struck for the family when Sarah Clara died at the age of nine. She was buried in a plot in the family cemetery on the property. The farm was set up as a cotton plantation, and the family owned 130 slaves. The plantation did very well for years, even after the Civil War, when the slaves were freed. 
1888, the Gaither's son Henry got into a deadly conflict with a neighbor named George Smith. We've read two versions of this, both end with George Smith dead. One version claims that Henry destroyed some turkey nests on Smith's property, and the men fought, with Henry using a big stick to club Smith. The other version claims that Smith was clearing land with fire and accidentally burned some of the Gaither turkey nests that were scooped up in the brush heaps. When Henry found out about it, he grabbed a shovel and hit Smith over the head, killing the man. Now, who knows? Because both these stories, it's that neighbor's turkeys and then it's the Gaither's turkeys. So it's like, (laughs) whose turkeys were they? Regardless of what the facts were, Henry went on the run and ended up in Texas somewhere, never to be seen again. In 1890, William Gaither died and the property passed to Cecilia. She had him buried in the family plot next to their daughter, Sarah Clara. Cecilia only stayed with the property for a few years after her husband's death, moving into Covington proper in 1906 with her son, William Jr. Boll weevils hit in the early 1900s, devastating the cotton crop. This is a little grayish beetle with a long snout. They're kind of cute because they have that little long snout, and I love their name, boll weevil. They are cute. I've seen them before. (laughs) These traveled up from Mexico to the United States in the late 1800s, and by the 1920s, they were in all major cotton-producing areas. At the time, one-third of the insecticide used in the United States was just to go after the boll weevil. The boll weevil has been eradicated in all states except Texas. How come I know what they look like then? Because I remember seeing these as a kid. Well, I didn't put a date on this, but they were only recently eradicated in all states except Texas. So probably within the last 20 years. Okay. So that would be why you saw them. I think I've seen them before, too. I'm not that old. It's weird, though. (laughs) You saw them in California? Yes. Do they grow cotton in California? Yes. Oh, I had no idea they grew cotton there. But I think that they can be in other plants, too. You know what's weird is, obviously, I've been all over the South now that I moved down here to Florida. The only place I've seen cotton growing is in Georgia. Huh. No, they had they had it in central California, up by Visalia. And then I know what those little things look like, unless it's a different type of weevil, but they've got the long hooked nose and they just like, I don't know, they remind me of something out of Bugs Life. (laughs) Yes. Marching around. Yes, I'm sure they have them in Bugs Life because they're a cuter kind of bug. So the Gaither Plantation couldn't make their tax payment in 1921 and had to declare bankruptcy. The Gaithers lost the family farm over twenty eight dollars. Can you imagine that's so sad. That is really sad. But you know, in 1921, $28 doesn't seem like it'd be that much money. I wouldn't think so. I mean, it was still a chunk of change. Through the next several decades, the property was sold to farming families, including the Macintoshes, Siegfrieds, and Welchels. The buildings on the property changed over the years. The property started with the plantation house, outdoor kitchen, barn, outhouse, and slave quarters. The barn was replaced in 1950 by Ralph Welchel. I wanted to read this firsthand account from a former resident of Gaither Plantation. This is Christine Welchel, and it's in the book Ghosts of Atlanta, Phantoms of the Phoenix City by Reese Christian. Ralph Welchel bought 638 acres from a Mr. McIntosh, who lived in Mansfield in the fall of 1949, a farm called the Hub Gaither Place. So originally it had a totally different name. He had been searching for a farm suitable for growing cattle and the new grass called KY31 Fescue. This grass would grow and stay green in the winter, providing year-round grazing for cattle. Ralph was delighted to find five acres of the grass flourishing near a creek on the farm, the first planted in Newton County, so he was told. The grass had become very popular. There was no place to take the seed for drying, so he cleared the farmhouse living room and hall and three rooms of a nearby tenant house. After spreading seed about a foot thick on the floors, we plowed 
through the seed a couple of times a day, sometimes more often if the weather was damp and hot, by sliding our feet along the floor. By making the rows closer together, all the seeds were shifted about and encouraged to dry without molding. Sounds difficult, but the seeds were light, and the worst part was getting shoes and socks full of scratchy seeds. Can you imagine that that's how they were processing the seeds, basically? You know what popped up into my head on I Love Lucy when she's mashing the grapes for wine? <laughs> Running around. Well, she's swinging her arms. And <laughs> yeah, good old time. totally. And I was like, with that image in mind, because that's what I was thinking, that people would be doing it in their bare feet. Can you imagine? But that then they hurt. said it got in their shoes and socks. So I'm yeah. like, no, they were, they kept their shoes on. The house was in fairly good repair, although there was much that needed doing. It did have a good roof and seven usable fireplaces, but no bathroom. When we finally put in a bathroom, we found our many young nieces and nephews, all city-reared and frequent visitors, much perturbed. They wanted nothing changed on the farm. So I guess they liked going in an outhouse? Um, okay. At some time after the Gaithers owned the place, I think, it was vacant long enough for pines to sprout and grow to a height of the second-story windows. A man who grew up nearby remembered that as a youth, he and neighbor boys chased some goats up the stairs and out the second-story windows. Oh my gosh! Poor goats! All the rooms of the house, except the one now used as a kitchen, had walls and ceilings of the original plaster made with horsehair, so we were told, which is the tradition at the time. This plaster was more than half an inch thick and somewhat cracked, but mostly in fair condition. A tornado knocked the main chimney off in 1974, I think, demolishing the roof and ceiling of the upstairs back bedroom. Both upstairs bedrooms were redone at that time. The plaster was so skillfully repaired that it looked like new. I understand the man who restored the house for Mr. Siegfried removed all the plaster as well as the 10 and 12 inch hand planed boards which covered walls and ceilings of the kitchen. A pity. By the way, the house is so sturdily built that two people in the kitchen eating breakfast the morning of the tornado heard the noise but felt no tremor through the building. Wow. I kind of hope that's the way our house is too. (laughs) Well, cinder block, yeah. They discovered the damage only when they went outside and found bricks scattered about the yard. Can you imagine going out there after you've had breakfast and going, why are there bricks everywhere? What happened? Where's the chimney? Oh, no. (laughs) In the back upstairs bedroom, closets are on each side of the fireplace. The one on the left looks like an ordinary closet when the door is closed, but inside there was a crude stairway to the attic and also room for a few clothes, which sounds like a traditional closet back from that era, too. They wouldn't have had a whole lot of room for clothes. When I lived there, visiting children were always intrigued by the secret stairway. They were fascinated by a tale about Confederate soldiers being hidden in the attic. As I remember the story told to me, the lady of the house was feeding a small group of Confederate soldiers when she received word that a group of Yankee soldiers was coming. She realized that if there was fighting, her family would be endangered and the house would surely be burned. So she begged the Confederates to hide in the attic until the Yankees left. They were not discovered, but all the farm livestock, which had been hastily hidden in the lower area back of the house, was found and taken. I understand the slave quarters were at the back of the house, and that is probably true, as there was a good spring or springs in the area now covered by pond water. One room of the house, with its fireplace and two walk-in closets, was built for the mother of Mrs. Gaither, who came from Virginia to live with her daughter, so we were told. We always called it the mother-in-law room. It was thought to have been added on after the main part of the house was built. Across from it is a wing with two rooms, which was apparently built some time before the rest of the house, judging by the floor joist of large, rough-hewn logs. The room now used as a kitchen had walls and ceiling of 10 and 12-inch hard plain boards when I lived there, and apparently at one time had not been connected to the adjoining room by a door, judging by the carpentry around the doorway. We thought it must have at one time been a pantry storage area when the original kitchen was in back of it and separated from the main house to lessen the danger of fire. 
A large fig bush stood close to the house all the years we were there. It provided many gallons of figs to eat fresh or as preserves. A friend called it the snack bar. Mm, your favorite. <laughs> I know. I hate figs. So I, I wouldn't like have thought it was much of a snack <laughs> bar. He always stopped for a snack before letting us know he had arrived. <laughs> Just help yourself. There's a cemetery to the right of the house as one faces it at the front. Both slaves and later freed people are buried there, as well as members of the Gaither family. Now, it was my understanding there were two cemeteries. So maybe they were separated at one time, but now they're all together. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just always all together. Ah, could be. The son of a former slave came each Mother's Day for many years after we moved there to put flowers on his mother's grave. Oh, that's sweet. I understand she was the plantation cook. The son's name was Charlie Gaither and his mother's grave was near the left edge of the cemetery. It was a tombstone with her name on it. An old barn stood near the big pond. This building was struck by lightning and burned in recent years. I'm about to forget another bit of history. It was told to my husband as the truth. It seems that the plantation once changed hands because the owner lost it in a poker game. Now, I didn't find anything to substantiate that story. I just, when I was reading through this, I thought this was the best description of the house because I couldn't find anything online about it and I've never been there. So I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and read it verbatim from the book as this woman who had grown up there for a little bit knew it, at least at the time that she had it. It wasn't clearly that way originally. Sure. Some buildings burned down or fell apart, and other buildings were brought to the property, including the Harris Springs Primitive Baptist Church. The church brought some bad history with it. Legend claims that the pastor of the church caught his wife having an affair and murdered her. He then killed himself. Newton County took over the site in 1996, and they host events, weddings, and tours there, as well as renting it out for film and TV production. Paranormal investigations take place here, too, because there are several spirits on the property. One of the events that had been hosted at the farm were reenactments. The Union marched on the plantation looking for Confederate soldiers they believed were hidden here, as you heard earlier. Supposedly, Cecilia had hidden the Confederates in a secret passageway, which ended up just being the attic. Reenactors who have camped out on the farm claim to have seen a man's spirit walk from the fireplace to the front window in the parlor. The scene replayed itself over and over in a loop. The apparition of a soldier in a gray suit has been seen in the basement appearing to be trying to hide. The reenactors also saw someone in the windows when no one was in the house, as did people who attended the Hummingbird Festival. East Georgia paranormal lead investigator Bobby Bishop was interviewed by the Covington News in 2007, and he told the paper that he was skeptical of most ghost sightings. But Gaither Plantation was one of three sites he believed was a hotbed of paranormal activity. They've done many investigations at the property over the years. On one of their first investigations, a sensitive on their team said that they were uncomfortable on the stairs leading to the attic. And they later found that they had captured an EVP at that same time that said, don't go up the stairs. Too bad they couldn't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Kelly, I'm so hungry, but I'm also so tired. I don't know what to make for dinner. I know. It's been a heck of a day. (gasps) Wait, we got our HelloFresh today. Oh, that's right. So we've got three meals we can choose from in there. It's all taken care of. Awesome. All we have to do is open up the box and choose what we want. It's got the card in there to tell us exactly how to make it. And all the ingredients are measured out for us. So much easier. I'm so happy. You guys are probably really busy, too. Fall brings all kinds of activity. You got the kids back in school. Sports are going again. And we have Thanksgiving coming up. 
HelloFresh saves you time that you would otherwise spend meal planning and shopping. And they have such great menu offers that are family friendly. There's over 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. And if you need to skip a week, it's real easy. You just go in and tell them nothing this week. So if you go on a vacation or something. And as we said, everything is pre-portioned. So there's no waste when it comes to this. That's one thing that I really love about it because I hate buying ingredients that you just need a small portion of and then you never turn around and use it again or it goes bad. Something of that nature. Yeah, you buy the bag of carrots and you use two or three of them and then the rest get all wilty. If you want to get started with HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash bump14 and use code bump14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Bump14 and use code Bump14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Jerry Love was once the chairman of Friends of Gaither, and he had people who had rented the property tell him that they saw a man in a gray suit down in the basement, which probably was that Confederate soldier again, and a woman who was rocking a baby in an upstairs window. He said, every time someone would ask me, I would unlock the house and go and look for the person they were seeing. Sometimes it was the face of a woman in the attic window. Other times they would say they saw someone looking out of the downstairs window. There was never anyone there when I went to look. And people have claimed to hear the laughter and playing of children when no kids are around. There are three other children buried in the graveyard where the Gaither daughter was buried. And there is a slave cemetery, too. So this could be where the children are coming from. So I only heard about one child that died on the property. So I don't know if these are other children that died, you know, slave children. They may not have made a record of that. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. There is a handle on the indoor well that is located on the ground floor of the farmhouse, and it has been seen turning on its own. The spirit of Cecilia Gaither is believed to be here, possibly because she was not buried with the rest of her family and is troubled by that. The name Celie has been heard coming through, and that was the nickname that the children used for Cecilia. Cecilia's room is on the second floor and is probably the most haunted area of the house. The pages of a Bible that belong to her have been seen turning on their own, and a rocking chair in the corner is rumored to rock with nobody in it, and it's too heavy to be rocked by the wind. This chair did not belong to the Gaithers and is on loan from another location, and the legend connected to it is that the woman who owned it had lost her baby. Occasionally, there have been reports of people who have seen Cecilia sitting in the chair and rocking a baby, but perhaps it was the mother. A volunteer and caretaker were in the kitchen when they heard voices coming from the front porch. They went to the door to see who was there, and when they opened it, they found the porch empty. There was no one nearby who could have made the sound of voices they heard. 
The show Vampire Diaries, filmed at the Gaither Plantation, star Nina Dobrev claimed that a piano started playing on its own during a 2010 shoot. One of the assistant directors hollered, stop. Whoever that is, stop the music. We're rolling. Cameras are on. When they went into the room where the piano was located, they found it empty. Nina also had the unnerving experience of having the lights go on and off erratically while she was in the bathroom. She thought the crew or some co-stars were playing tricks on her, but everybody denied playing with the power. The Tyler Perry movie, Medea's Family Reunion, was shot at the Gaither Farmhouse, and they experienced some activity. The director had called for quiet on the set as they prepared to film a scene. Suddenly, there were loud footsteps on the widow walk. The director yelled, cut, and was not pleased. He told an assistant to go find out who was up there and tell them to come downstairs. The assistant found no one, so they started the scene over again. Footsteps interrupted once again. Only this time, they were coming down the stairs. The director hollered for the person to come down and quit walking around. There was no response. A couple of people went and looked around and saw that there was no one on the stairs or near them. Just before the director yelled action, to try filming for a third time, he yelled, Will the ghost of the house please cooperate? They managed to film the scene without any further issues. (laughs) So I don't know if he was kidding around, but clearly the ghost took it seriously. I would have said it a little bit more nicely, though. I think he was just perturbed because once they start rolling it, you know, if money is time. And time is money. Yes. Central Georgia Paranormal Society investigated in 2013 and captured EVPs. In one recording, the group asked if there was a spirit in the house and it answered, hey. In another capture, they got the voice of a child saying, hello. They heard an audible heated discussion between two women coming from the empty attic. The front screen door also opened on its own and slammed shut. They investigated the church, too, and picked up a female voice in EVP saying Willa. The group also has heard yelling, screaming, and a choir in the church. The Ghost Hunters investigated during Season 5 on Episode 6. Judy Gaither Dial, the great-great-great-granddaughter of W.H. and Cecilia Gaither, met the team and told them she has encountered the ghosts before. She told the guys that the doors on the buffet open and close on their own. And this isn't because the floor is unlevel, because the doors will swing shut after they have opened. Judy also thinks that she was touched by Cecilia in Cecilia's bedroom. She felt a hand on her back when she was telling some friends about her great-great-great-grandmother. The rocking chair in that room also moves on its own, as discussed before. The attic scares her and she won't go up there. Judy took the team out to the Baptist church that was moved onto the property, and she told them that the chair behind the pulpit has vibrated and had an apparition of a man sitting in it. Marty Roberts Jr. was the caretaker at the time of the investigation, and he told the guys he had seen shadow figures and heard disembodied voices at the house. Taps heard a voice in the attic and footsteps and shuffling. Jason put flour down on the floor to see if they could catch any footprints, particularly rodent footprints. This old-school technique got them three footprints, human footprints, and they didn't match any of the patterns on their shoes. The team captured on video the buffet doors opening on their own. Judy has shared other experiences that she has had. She enjoyed sitting on the front porch swing, and one time when she was sitting without swinging, she felt something unseen sit down next to her, and then the swing started moving. Her feet couldn't reach the ground, so she knew it wasn't her moving the swing. See, I'd have that problem, too. My feet usually don't touch the ground either. <laughs> You're just fun size. Judy jumped off the swing and ran inside to tell Tracy, the caretaker at the time, what had happened. She expected Tracy to be shocked, but she only said, it happened to me, too. Now, I'll point out that Judy thought that perhaps that was her father who had lived in the house at one time that was sitting down next to her because he had passed away. 
Judy also claimed that a decorative bowl would move around. The Georgia Paranormal Research Team out of Dublin, Georgia, investigated the house, and they had an experience that backed up Judy's claims about the bowl. They placed a flat piece of paper under the bowl and then went to investigate the other rooms of the house. When they returned, not only had the bowl moved, but the piece of paper was crumpled up next to the bowl. What? Yeah, I would want to make sure that (laughs) nobody was playing games in that house because that is weird. They also recorded spirits knocking to let the investigators know that they were there. So it was one of those where they were asking them to knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. And it happened. (laughs) Here we go. The church is reputedly pretty haunted as well, since it was a scene of a murder-suicide. Whenever women sit or stand on the pulpit, and sometimes even when they just pass by it, unexplained activity will start up in the church and women feel very unwelcome. The chair in the pulpit will begin to vibrate. A man has been seen sitting in the chair and his head would move around as though it were vibrating too. So maybe just the chair has issues with people sitting in it? Maybe. There's much history at the Gaithers Plantation. Are some of the family members still sticking around? Do objects and furniture on the property have attachments? Is Gaither Plantation haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, it's right there in Georgia, so it's an easy drive for us, and it's right outside of Atlanta, so it's not too far away. Definitely need to see if we can investigate. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com, and if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We heard from Laura. She said, I've been meaning to share this with you for a while now, and I feel I can share with people that will not judge me. Because, of course, we believe all this stuff most of the time. So I've listened to the bonus episode with Shadow People, and I can say I think I've had my share of experiences with that. The first time I've ever seen anything like that that I can recall was around when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And this was around 2003 or 2004. Well, I feel old, don't you? Sure do. (laughs) (laughs) It was the last year that we were going to be living in my childhood home in Georgia. My mom made the decision that we needed a fresh start from all the drama that was surrounding us and decided to move us to Texas to be closer to her baby brother. So I want to give a little background to this story. My mom was forced to be a single parent around 2000 because my dad was incarcerated for getting involved with organized crime, sort of. Leading up to 2003, my dad was going to testify in a big case, and during that time, we were getting death threats. Things were getting heated for a small, sleepy town in northeast Georgia. During that last year we lived in that house, I started to see a dark shadow figure loom at the end of the hallway near my room. Then as time went by, that shadow would get closer to the point it finally got close enough to be standing in front of me. Isn't that weird that it was like over time getting closer yeah, to her? Like disconcerting. Yeah, like it couldn't get closer, but something about her seeing it or in the house was allowing it to get closer. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the one I did, it was right up in front of me. But if I saw it get closer over time, like it was getting stronger or something. Yeah. That would be a little little bit upsetting, I think. I started to get scared since the shadow felt threatening. I had finally told my mom, not sure if she was going to take me seriously. To my surprise, she did and told me that any time I saw it to just start praying and walk away. Years later, she finally explained why she was worried about what I was seeing. She was afraid that it was a death looming around as if almost a warning of something that might happen to us. Oh, wow. Kind of like the angel of death hanging out. She had been receiving death threats from the people my dad was going to testify against, and she was afraid that one day she was going to wake up to the house being burned down with us inside. She also explained that was one of the major reasons for our move. She was concerned for our safety. In our experience, when we see a dark shadow or black shadow, we identify it as something evil or even death. Not sure if other people feel that way towards those type of shadows. Well, you know, a lot of it is based on, I think, people's experiences, because most people you talk to, a shadow figure is death, evil, darkness. But for you, it wasn't. 
Right. And it could have just been that individual circumstance. I don't know. I haven't seen any others. So time will reveal more, I suppose. (laughs) Laura continues, now my mom and I are able to see other types of shadows too, or I would say it looks more like a silhouette or figure that almost looks like a person. It can happen sometimes in her house or other places. It just depends. It can look like someone is there out of the corner of your eye, then it's gone. It happens quickly. And that's usually how most people see these is out of the corner of the eye. When we see those types of shadows, we don't feel like it's evil or anything negative for the most part. So thank you for sharing those, Laura. We appreciate that. Pretty harrowing that, you know, you have organized crime. I'd be more afraid of that than a shadow figure, I think. Yeah. Then Richard in the crew wrote, Hey, Spooktacular Group, I've shared some stories in the past with Diane about my paranormal experiences on the podcast. Probably the most notable one was about my wife's and I stay at the haunted St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico. I don't remember what episode number that was, but it was a good one. I also shared some stories about the experience of growing up in our haunted childhood home in Kansas. My brother and I were the first to experience the phenomena in the old house. From the first moment we entered the house, it was evident that the house had its own personality. The house's beautiful wooden built-ins and wood paneling seemed to steal the sunlight, and the dark wood seemed to envelope you. Nonetheless, as all kids are with a new home, my brother and I were excited to explore and especially to see our new room. We hurriedly ran upstairs to check out our new playground. It was then that we started to realize that we weren't alone. Instead, it felt as if we were on a stage with an audience of people staring at us. After a few minutes, we both made a hasty retreat downstairs. It was only then that I realized that I'd left my favorite stuffed toy upstairs. When I refused my dad's request to go upstairs to retrieve it, he became frustrated. Through tears, I told him, but there are people up there. Ignoring my pleas, he begrudgingly went up to retrieve it. That initial feeling of being watched never really went away. It was a constant, and nighttime was when the activity really ramped up. My brother would tell me that he always heard whispers, as if several people were talking late at night in our room. One night, he even awoke to what looked like the walls were on fire, with it slowly fading away. That's weird. That is weird. Both of us would hear someone walking in the attic overhead, even though there was not enough room to walk upright and only a few old wooden planks to carry you across the attic space. My mother would be alone in the house and hear what she thought were kids playing upstairs and the doors opening and closing. Sometimes she would hear her name being called from her closet. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not from my closet and I'm not going in there. She would later actually see an apparition. There would also be the sounds of heavy things being dropped on the floor when you were downstairs. When investigated, nothing would ever be out of place. When I turned around 10 years old, the incidents that affected me seemed to pick up and became more frightening. Several times I would awaken in the night and see a small creature staring at me from the foot of the bed. It was dark and I could not make out any features except the shape of its head, its glowing eyes, and what seemed to be two horns growing out of its head. The little creature never moved, never blinking either, but just staying there staring at me. I felt a terrible menacing feeling as the creature silently stared at me. I was paralyzed with fear. My brother lay there sleeping unaffected and unaware. The encounter seemed to last forever. I tried to reason that it was one of our cats until I came to realize that they weren't big enough to be seen from the edge of the bed. It was just too high. Eventually, I worked up enough courage to drop my head under the covers and lay there hoping it would go away. Of course, I eventually fell asleep, and when I awoke in the morning, everything was back to normal. And that's because covers are your protection. The creature came back several times after that first encounter, eventually prompting me to make a ring of guardian toys around the bed for protection. Good idea. I'm not sure what kind of protection a toy Shogun Warrior would provide, but it was worth a shot. I started sleeping with my BB gun as an extra precaution until my mother caught on and took it away. Oh, no. (laughs) Probably a good idea. A short time after I started doing this, the episode stopped and I never saw the creature again. All these years later, I wonder if it was an imp. That's what it sounds like to me. It does. 
There were so many incidents that happened in that house. My brother and I were the first to experience the phenomenon, but eventually my whole family had encounters and came to know its spirits. Even probably dad, who was mad. Not all the haunted events that happened in the house were scary. Some were actually humorous, but all of it changed my outlook on life and reality. The next 16 years living in that house would start my journey with the paranormal that continues today. Since that time, I've had many supernatural encounters. I really love the show and listen to it frequently while working. I have a love of history and all things paranormal. My wife and I are both artists and have a studio here in Portland, Oregon. I think that most people would find most of our work dark or creepy. Some years ago, I created an edition of etchings entitled Bedtime Thing about the incidents with the creature at the foot of the bed. Oh, excellent. And he actually did send me one of those once upon a time. So if you want to check out their stuff, they're over at Etsy.com and their studio is called Three Spirits Studio. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. We want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. First, we want to thank Amanda Battershill for raising your donation. We're going to be moving you into a chest tomb. Also, Raquel Garcia has raised her donation. We're going to be moving her into a garden crypt. She'll be getting an HGB logo mug in three months. And welcome into the cemetery, Tracy O'Connor. We're going to put you in a chest tomb. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We could not produce this show without our executive producers. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Now, who knows? Because both these stories, it's that neighbor's turkeys and then it's the Gaither's turkeys. So it's like, <laughs> right. whose turkeys were they? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I couldn't help myself. Every, you could put this in the bloopers, obviously. But people don't know where we live. We're in Florida, in central Florida, but we have tons of wildlife around us. And we have multitudes of wild turkeys in the area so sometimes i'll be driving down the main track <laughs> and there's like 20 turkeys so we'll roll down the window and go yes kelly loves to torment the turkeys we do we have a pack i'd call it a pack, a pack of 20 a flock yeah they're always at the top of where our neighborhood is because we have some pine tree growth yes. that's up there and with the way things are going with shipping and stuff we might have to go out and shoot shoot one for our thanksgiving mail this year that's what austin thought we should do after i moved here oh jeez <laughs> he's like you can have your own turkey dinner <laughs> moving into covington proper in 1906 with her son william j <laughs> at the time one third of the insect good grief criminy Crimey. Crimey. <laughs> this is why my we like history. Working in my mouth. <laughs> this is why we like history. We're from some time out in the... Who knows? In 2007. Dog or bird. 
Whatever that thing is out there, that squawking. Thing making all that noise out there. Dog bird. Who knows, Kelly? He's a dog bird. He's a dog He's bird. He's a bird dog. Isn't there a song that goes bird dog in it? Oh, I don't know. He's a bird dog. Because as far as I know, there was just the one child that dried on the property. That dried? That dried? Is that what she just said? Yeah. She was they dried them out after they died. She's a little leathery. Yeah. That's we're, terrible. We're gonna mummify the kids today. We're going to hell. <laughs> Suddenly there were loud footsteps on the window walk. Nope. <laughs> the window walk is that outside. Very precarious. Be careful.